Hi, I'm Jess and I'm the oldest. Oi, I'm the oldest. I'm Shtee, I'm the dad and this is actually my podcast. And I'm Tommy, I'm the youngest. Welcome to the podcast. At the heart of hearts, we're all very creative. I've had a very interesting life. You've travelled all over the world. I remember being... Oh, interesting. This is not how I remember this story. story, story, story. Pints are not a good measure for filling Jacobs as fuel. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, podcast, podclucks, 21. Woo! <laughs> bing, 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 bing. Can I just point out that in the description of description of episode 20 you mentioned double figures like it had just arrived at double figures um, <laughs> i think you will find mr Stephen, that <laughs> to use your full name uh that it says double double figures because it's double when you reach but double that makes figures. it sound like it's our thousandth episode anyway how, not important. how does double double figures make a thousand look you can Anyone see explain? we're on we're on episode 21 already we're falling apart. falling apart i didn't read it properly i accept that allegation <laughs> right. excellent well it is not only a new podcast episode it's also a new year Oh, yeah. 2023. I didn't know what was coming then. Oh, imagine if it was episode... Anyway, it doesn't matter. It's not. It's episode 21, year 23. I don't, I don't think the years and the episodes are ever going to coincide. <laughs> no, but they, they will in two months' time. <laughs> It'll just be a little bit underwhelming because it'll when be two months later. <laughs> when it's 26, it will be 2023, 20, 26. This is the kind of content that people are here for. Ooh. People? Person. <laughs> Person? Anyway. Okay. Hello. Hello, dear listener. <laughs> yes. Hello, dear listener. All right, Stephen. You got any, uh, you got any stories for us this month? I've got a, meand- a meandering waffle. Will that do? Ooh. For breakfast. Yeah, delicious. I'll take a waffle. I'll have a, mea- a toasted meandering waffle. And I think you remember that this episode, uh, 22 episode, no... Sorry, 20 episodes up to now have led us to meander our way through Surrey, Scotland, Zambia, Thailand and Sudan. And I've now ended up uh, back in Thailand, actually, for what was supposed to be six weeks, but turned out to be six months for reasons that were revealed in episode 20. Mm. Um, And I think I said that the main project was on the border with refugees and there was another project in Bangkok, which was in a, a children's home, which I want to tell you about this time. But I have dug out the letters that Mutz and I wrote to each other in this period to throw some light on um, on what I've been describing to see how, how truthful it was, really. And mm-hmm. they, they paint an interesting picture of, of daily life in Bangkok, where I was, and daily life back in Leamington Spa, where she was, uh, because she had quite reasonably stayed behind to finish or to to do a training course uh, as a secretary. And so we were separated for what we thought was going to be six weeks, but turned out to be six months. And these letters reveal that kind of um, uh, tension of realising that we were going to be separated for longer. But as I mentioned last time, she did come out for a visit uh, and then came out a second time at the end of my six months. But I've been, I dug out the, the letters and I thought I would read an extract from two of them um, just to give you an idea of, of, of what I was up to. Um, now, a lot of what I was doing was sort of making or helping the team of about, I think it was 17 or 18 people, um, helping them get on together and work. 
because all of them were equally in a stressful situation. They were separated from family, friends. They had their own particular pressures um, and they were working in a, in a, in a war zone. So uh, it, that crops up quite a lot, all the different characters involved. And um, one of them I'm going to call Jemima Jones. Um, who, <laughs> uh, an alias. <laughs> it's definitely an alias. Uh, I mean, it's, it's a long time ago. Bear in mind, this is nearly 40 years ago now. I mean, it's a long time. And people have changed and we're all different people. But Jemima Jones was my right-hand administrator at the time. And uh, she had some parents who were, who were quite straight-laced, shall we say. Um, and I don't uh, know what straight-laced means. But yeah. Jess, can you, I use the term, but I don't know if you can help us with it. I, I think it means sort of like things done properly and in a certain way and okay, don't, yeah. don't like, doesn't like sort of deviating from that. Yes, um, okay, that makes sense. Ergo, not like me, really, I <laughs> Wonky-laced as they come. <laughs> Wonky-laced as they come. Um, so this is from a, a little note I wrote to Mutz and I said, uh, today Captain Jones telephoned, gulp. <laughs> But he wasn't too bad. He was just checking up on Jemima, who I've sent off to Huahin, so she wasn't around. Her mother is coming out at the end of March, so I asked when she was arriving, and Captain Jones said, around the 18th. This was really scurrilous. Please note the use of the word scurrilous all those years <laughs> that ago. That is strong. <laughs> How old are you at this point, just for uh, This is 20, 25, I think. Uh, okay. 26, maybe. That was really scurrilous, as I had said she couldn't come until the middle of March. As Terry, be, as Terry will be around as well. And the 18th, to me, really is the middle of March. So I told him she couldn't come to the 22nd <laughs> at the earliest. <laughs> are, are, you, are, you getting the, are you getting the picture of a young upstart here at all? It's so, so funny. specific. It, and it also is... Like, I don't know if I miss, miss reading it, but it doesn't sound very... It doesn't sound like you're being humorous. It sounds like you are actually kind of annoyed by this, which... To me, doesn't I can't imagine you taking that kind of. Um... I think I was cross about that actually because yeah. it's like um, sometimes you're trying to do something and people just ignore it and get on with their own plans and it impacts yeah, yeah, you. Yeah. And even though, and I, I suppose you know, in the whole scheme of things, I was young and new, and I mean, Captain Jones had obviously been in the army, I'm guessing, um, and used to being able to do what he wants. I mean, this is all speculation way after the event, but I thought it was quite funny. And yeah. um, uh, so then three minutes after I had rung off, Mrs. Jones telephoned, gulp, but not about her trip, but to ask where Jemima was and why didn't they know she was going off on holiday anyway? And what was anything, was anything wrong, etc., etc. I was a bit taken aback and probably gave her the impression that I'm a gibbering idiot. Still, never mind. <laughs> So. There's, there's some su- such strong use of language here, yeah. like gibbering it's idiot, scurrilous. scurrilous. No, but I th- there's something quite particular about scurrilous mm. that I just, I don't feel like I've ever heard anybody else say it. And to know that you've been using it since you were 25 is like quite amazing. But it's quite but funny not it. for it not to be followed by rogue. I feel like it is scurrilous <laughs> yeah, rogue. Scurrilous rogue or that bust. probably would have been a bit too strong for Captain Jones, <laughs> probably. Yeah, but, um... So uh, very funny. So on the one hand, I'm sort of managing families as well, really, who of course are terribly worried about what's going on. And if something happens, they're not expecting. They immediately imagine there's a problem, and and you can understand that. And there was this thing all the time about if something happens, like a 
a mortar attack, for example, on the border, do you go around and ring everybody and say it's all fine? And the protocol was you don't do that because um, sometimes there's going to be a, a report on the news in the UK that you don't know about. And if they don't receive the call saying everything's fine, they're going to start worrying. So we had the protocol that no news is good news, in other words. Um, mm. But families, of course, still worried. Um, and this this amused me. I can sort of remember this lot. OK, so I'm, on the one hand, I'm managing families. The other is this whole sort of pretending to be a top level delegate in a big small fish in a big pond or whatever you want to call it. <laughs> and um, this uh, this is a different note, but it says... The only thing that happened today was a high-powered meeting, exclamation mark in brackets, at the UN. There is a delegation from Rome who are assessing the effectiveness of UMBRO, the UN organisation working at Site 2, which is one of the refugee camps. They wanted to meet all the directors, so Phil and I went along. The team looked every bit a delegation from Rome. One elderly, sceptical-looking chap with gold glasses who sneered every time he spoke... (laughs) One rather glam woman with a startling blue shirt and large dangly earrings and a couple of trim-looking Brit gentlemen and a rather dozy young research consultant, whatever that is. (laughs) One of the Brits later turned out to be a jolly good chap and we're having a working (laughs) lunch and I'm having a working lunch with him tomorrow. (laughs) So so that's... It's amazing, like, the description is so interesting because so how Mm. often would you write to each other like how often would you kind of quite a lot of letters letters. I mean I I think probably uh, they tended to go when somebody was traveling back and I it looks like it was every couple of weeks or something I suppose um Mm. but it's still that's so little compared to now where you can contact someone so quickly and so easily and and Mm. their page their page is long they're like four or five sides of a4 handwritten which you know that takes time. You can't mm. you can't mm. just bash those out. But it is it is nice how much sort of specific details you're putting in so that it does paint a picture of mm. like exactly where you are at that point, almost as good as a photo. So the last little episode uh, goes back to um, Jemima Jones. Uh, God bless her wherever she is. The latest catastrophe to happen to Jemima was after she had been shopping at Falklands. Not sure what that was. It's obviously a shopping centre. This week, she was just itemising the receipt, writing sugar against sugar and butter against butter cost, etc., whilst ticking me off for not doing it before. (laughs) She went off to the loo, and just as she came back, the wind snatched the receipts off the table and hurled them high into the atmosphere. Jemima was so upset, she stomped her foot and swore. Whoa! Bad, bad, I couldn't bad. help feeling it was partly God's way of telling her that receipts are not the be-all and end-all of everything. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Excellent. That's I'm amazing. Sure you didn't say that to her in the moment, though. <laughs> I don't suppose I did, but I mean... Oh, well, it certainly wouldn't have been very helpful if you had said it. <laughs> yeah. I, I love the cartoon image of someone stamping their foot there and swearing. I can picture it like something way over the top. I've even got a picture of it. I drew a little cartoon. Oh, oh wow. Whoa. Oh, and there's the receipts going, the receipts going out the window. window, yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> and good. I mean, the only other thing about the letters to and fro um, that is of interest is that they display an enormous amount of affection backwards and forwards, mm. which is mm. lots of expression of missing each other. And of course, we were relatively newly married at the time. So um, mm. it was. Uh, it's so nice you've kept them as well all this time. It's such a fun thing to be able to rootle through and find all these years. I know. 
yeah. something that the um, modern generation uh, have less of, I think, because it's if it's all in WhatsApp, you know, I mean, you can scroll back. And that, to be fair, that is quite a fun thing to do as well. You can, like, search for an early word or something and then zip back into the archive. But it's it definitely is not the same as reading words on a letter that you've spent ages composing and deciding to post across halfway across mm. the world or whatever. Yeah. Um, well, I was so fascinated with what... Because I used to write letters to my cousin and that it was so, like, fascinating hearing them back and hearing... Just the kind of things that you choose cut. to write about, and yeah. that because it, I think unlike, unlike WhatsApp, there's something about the handwrittenness of it, and well, I mean particularly, I guess in the letters I was writing, there'd be loads of points where I would stop, and then I'd come back to it and be like, <laughs> I don't know why I stopped writing there, or had to dash off and do this thing, you know, it, yeah. and you sort of feel like you see the very the moment of it being written as opposed to. It being more generic somehow. Yeah, yeah. It it's it feels like it exists outside of time because it's like on a page and you you read it as you read it, but but it it's not like that at all. There was there was a very funny podcast that I listened to that I can't remember exactly. I think it might have been uh, randomly going to shout out a podcast that we have no affiliation with, but Bud Pod, which is Phil Wang and um, Pierre Novelli, two comedians who just have they're just friends and they just have a chat. But they were talking about sending letters and the idea of like writing to someone in another time zone and the idea of being like sorry sorry that it's so late in the day because i know it's 4 a.m there or something or being like i hope i didn't wake you <laughs> like the idea of that happened like now if you texted somebody who was in a different time zone you have to think like oh i hope their phone's on silent i don't wake them up yeah like, that translating that idea into letters is so funny um, well, it, I mean, one yeah. of the other thing that comes out is obviously some um, high and low periods um, at both ends of the sort of living. Uh, and by the time you've read of a low period, you know, hopefully that's gone to a high period, but it's mm. too late. It's too mm. late to do anything about it. And I mean, you know, I felt the frustration even reading it all these years later, thinking, gosh, you'd have received that. And you'd feel sad because that person mm. is expressing being not feeling or feeling cross or miserable or whatever. Mm. Um, but it's it's too late to do anything about it. Um, but on the whole, they sort of express quite a lot of support from people. Like the the organisation in Leamington, um, Mutt's mentioned several times, people dropping, you know, flowers round or a cake round or something because mm. they, they knew she was... Um, she was Solo. <laughs> solo, yeah, not solo, but solo. So, yeah, so, yeah, solo. <laughs> solo, solo. i.e. alone, not solo but, as in... Sad. Although indeed she might have been solo, who knows? Uh, but the flowers were, def- were <laughs> she definitely solo, solo. She was so solo. <laughs> so so solo. <laughs> the other sort of project that we were um, juggling with really was very very tricky, um, but it's got a quite a really good sort of ending to it. Um, and this was a, a government children's home for about I think with a three homes. And I think they had about 300 um, children in each from memory. So about a 1,000 ballpark figure. And a lot of these children, they're all handicapped in some shape or form. And uh, um, probably social analysts will correct me if I'm wrong on this, but certainly in in those days it was believed that um, uh, part of the reincarnation idea that is um, held I think by Buddhists and certainly by a lot of Thai people, is that if you arrive in this life handicapped, it, it reflects badly on your previous life. 
And so handicapped oh, no. people. Yeah. And so Is it handi- disabled people? Yes, disabled yeah. people, yeah. And so there was a there was sort of fear of that and also prejudice against that and um, I mean, I, I'm, I might be simplifying it and I might even not be correct. That's what I understood and was told at the time. So anyway, a lot of these children were abandoned at birth or, or soon after. And many of them had um, had sort of very, very minor uh, problems. So, I mean, uh, uh, babies with a hair lip, for example, or a cleft palate, which is entirely operable, um, might be abandoned because they were seen to be less than perfect. Mm-hmm. And this home was, was full of, of, of children who were way too crammed, um, sometimes two or three, or certainly two to a cot, um, with not enough kind of help to to look after them, really. And so the organisation called had recruited people to go in as what we used to call babysitters, but in fact they were kind of like care care assistants, really. Um, just to be there and um, be extra hands on the job to change to change the children when they needed the nappies changed, that sort of thing. And it was like a start to try and do something about this. And I mean, we remember going and visiting as being one of the most perhaps shocking things that we've seen because it was institutionalised. You know, it was it was a government run place and uh, it was the, the, the response to the problem. And it was way, way inadequate. So... Um, I remember one of the things that I did while I was there was was buy some CD players to put in in each of the wards so that um, so that music could be played and that at least was beginning to get some outside stimulation, um, and there was a bit of a ceremony to hand those over and so on. We were able to put in some more money to getting some more help and eventually we recruited uh, two people from the UK to come and and work as as nurses in the home, and that just began to sort of scratch away at, at some of the difficulties, albeit on a very small level. And then we used to take the, the children out in minibuses for perhaps a day to a, a, a lake or something like that. And this was their world transformed, you know, from a sort of being in a cot looking at the ceiling to, to actually being handled and uh, interacting with other people. And I remember we bought, we bought some things that were colourful to put in the, in the wards as well to, to add some extra visual stimulus. Um, but the the key thing was, and I can't exactly remember how this happened, but somewhere along the line, we came across this very impressive Thai uh, man called Wasan and his wife Sharia. And um, they became um, associated with this project. And initially we we supported them and finally they created their own organisation, Christian Care for Children in Thailand, I think, um, CCD. Um but anyway, the thing is, they just took this on. They lived all of their lives around this uh, this home. They raised money and eventually were able to, to, to rent and then later on to buy and build and extend uh, a sort of a halfway house to take children from that home at Packred into this what's called Rainbow House, Rainbow being a sign of hope, and, um, and then uh, move them on into adoptive families. So they did a lot of work with Thai families to sort of counter this this prejudice against um, disability. And mm. um, and one by one, children were, oh, I can only use the word rescued, really. Um, and and now, 40 years on, nearly, that um, I had contact with Wasan not very many weeks ago, four or five weeks ago, and mm. he, he must be, he told me, actually, he's a bit older than me. He's 65, I think, 66. But he he's still um, there every day. The, the the home is full of 
um, children who've got a whole new life. Um, mm. They do outreach programs into the villages, not only around Bangkok, but throughout Thailand, um, send teams out to go and do education programs about how a child born with a cleft palate is nothing to do with the last life. It's something that can be fixed here and now. Mm. Um, and every year, for the last 10 years, they've had a, a government award for excellence, which um, is, uh, you know, there's not many things that last 40 years in my sort of experience that that, that mm. kind of go on being good. And that this is this is really one of them. So, um, so that's exciting. That's amazing. Yeah. It's very interesting. You can kind of see how historically i guess something like that attitude well yeah i mean you can you can understand it to some extent but it is also like so sad and so mm. it's such a shame because you think even i mean obviously i don't know 100% sure that it's not to do with reincarnation etc cetera, etc cetera, <laughs> but even if it was to do with that and and let's say you got a cleft palate because you were a bit evil in the last life like surely that means that person needs more support than anyone else mm. anyway because okay, we need to like help them get on the right track or whatever. So it's hard not to see the flaws in that logic. I'm sure there's things that I don't understand about it. Well, it's, I mean, it's about more sense, but it's about our cultural backgrounds. And, you know, what I've discovered is it's very hard to escape if you want to from your cultural background. It's such Mm. a strong influence that um, you have to really struggle to, to see another perspective. Um, And, you know, that's, I mean, as is normal, but we just happen to have been born somewhere else. So uh, we have a different view, perhaps. Yeah. Um, and being someone that doesn't believe in reincarnation, it's very, it's really tricky to hear mm. to hear that that's a view and and understand it because yeah because I I don't believe in reincarnation in that way. So it you, yeah, so you see, it's sort of harder to sort of think what must that be like if that if that's a you know, it's such a deeply held belief. Yeah. And and a culture as well, like... It's it's very hard to understand somebody else's point of view, even within our own culture, I think. You know, you, if you boil it down to sort of gender or um, class or age or, I don't know, any of those things, it's hard, it's hard to sit in the shoes of somebody else and see how they view the world. Um, and then you add a new dimension to that of, you know... Um, a cultural difference it's it can be, can be but anyway that's 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 why this is so good because it is a local mm. a local man who, with his wife who took on that thing and drove it forward um and um along the way you know we had some quite great opportunities to to access funding for them um and uh they're just people who live for that sort of business of helping other people which is very inspiring really and mm. um mm. Whoop whoop here here. I was um in, <laughs> interested in the use of the word handicapped because yes. I, I haven't heard that word for ages and I want right. I was wasn't sure if that's something that has that has moved out of It has. Yeah. I, I mean it's 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 a generational thing. It's mm. it's all we ever heard when we were growing up. And yeah. um people with disabilities is is another way of describing it. Um and of course, you know, even that is is so generalist because uh, what what does a, being able mean and 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 so on? But but yeah, I, I apologise apologies, dear listener, if anyone is offended. It's just a, a function of of age and upbringing. No, and I wasn't. I wasn't. Mm. I just was. That's a good point. You, you know, yeah. when you hear something and you think, I think there's a reason why I, that word doesn't 
feel like it exists in in the language that we currently use yeah, yeah. Um, it's partly also this business of not speaking any language properly having moved to france so handicapé is a is a word still that's in current usage in france so it's in a france, kind of is it? yeah, yeah that's yeah. interesting interesting yeah so i was going to say I, I had exactly the same thing of jess has been like oh yeah i haven't heard but i'm not i don't 100 percent. i can't say with any certainty why i haven't heard it whether it's um good or bad reason but let's take this as a learning opportunity and afterwards we'll google it and find out and then we'll then we'll yeah know. yeah yeah so did you know that i was an excellent wheeler dealer <laughs> how, how could we not know that oh i wasn't yeah. i wasn't sure but i one of the funniest things that happened around this time was that we had in the in the border program we must have had about 600 staff i think uh, most of whom were Khmers from cambodia and um, they were doing all sorts of things, you know, sort of delivering water, building houses, um, staffing their mother and child health clinics and so on. And uh, so at Christmas, I was only I was there for six months and it spanned the Christmas period. And even though it's a Buddhist society, I think I mentioned the last time, bit weirdly and bizarrely, Christmas is a really big thing in Thailand. And um, you mm. have, all, have all the... The, the stores bedecked out with Christmas trees and tinsel and you know anyway um and so I thought it'd be good Can I ask to ask a stupid question really quickly c- please do because like my geography isn't amazing what, is it winter in Thailand at Christmas time uh there isn't really a winter in Thailand it's a kind of like all year round similar climate um not being oh, okay far, I think not being far off the equator maybe um, yeah. I mean, they have they have rains and no rains, um, but temperature wise, it doesn't really get cold. Um, yeah, just interesting to paint the picture of it being all Christmassy and. Um, yes, well, it's bizarre. Yeah. Um, okay. you, you have a torrential rainstorm and a sort of sweltering heat, and then there's. I remember one particular department store. The whole building was wrapped up in an enormous bow with a great bow on the front of it, and I thought, you know, you wouldn't even <laughs> find that. You wouldn't even in the day. You wouldn't even have found that in America. It was like so uh, over the top. Yeah. Anyway, I thought it'd be quite nice to buy our star for Christmas present. And so that required 600 of the same thing. Um, and it came, it, it came to me that a simple garment, a top, would be a, 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 you know, even if it didn't fit, somebody would sell it or find a use for it. So um, I started scouting around the merchants who were selling um, uh, clothing and these were on the street um, and I didn't have any idea whether any of them were capable of supplying that sort of quantity but they were people who I thought would be good to support you know small traders um, and so off I went and made a, and I found a shirt that I, the, the type of shirt I really liked um, from memory I think it was a sort of tie-dye thing I can't quite be sure mm-hmm. a very simple sort of short-sleeved throw it on jobs are good and um, so I went to this guy and said okay how much is a shirt and uh, I forget the figures and this is probably all wrong but let's say it was 12 baht which was the currency it might have been 120 or 10 or I I don't know but let's say it was 12 Mm, yeah and uh, so I said oh gosh that's a that's a bit expensive um how how much would it be if I had 10 and he said oh it's 12 baht so I said oh (laughs) I thought I thought I thought that might be interesting no no no, that's that's too expensive I said um You've got to come down from that. And he looked very doubtful, said, OK, big, big deal. What about if I had 100? I've got some staff. I want to buy them all the same Christmas Christmas present. And he said, uh, nine baht. I can do it for nine baht for 100. Jess, I said, wow, that's great. It's still too expensive because actually I want 300. And he went, whoa. <laughs> I said, can you supply 300? And 
He said, oh, yes, yes, I mean, which is what people say in Thailand. They, something about that culture is they never want to disappoint you, which is a great mm. thing in a way. But tip from the top, if you're in Thailand and want to know to the way to the train station and you think it might be that way, you don't say, is that the way to the train station? Because they will always say, they always say yes, because <laughs> they yes. Will, don't, don't, want, don't want to disappoint you. Whereas if you wow. say, what is the way to the train station? They say, oh, it's over there. Sort of yeah. <laughs> so, so funny. But anyway, um, he, he said, oh, yes, yes, I can do 300, no problem. I was, was a bit doubtful. And about the price? <laughs> well, he came down to seven bars. Mm. So I knew I was on a track here and, and he came, you know, I was thinking, oh. So anyway, finally I came clean and said, look, okay, this is your great day. It's not 300. I actually want 600 shirts. A, can you do them? And B, what price? And he said, yes, yes, I can do them. You have them for five baht. So I don't remember the figures, but it was less than half the price we started at. Yeah. Wow. And okay, he, was practi- he seemed to be practically crying. And I was, I was now racked with guilt with all my sort of Western hang-ups and everything. I was thinking, oh, my word, I'm, I'm taking, the, taking the life out of this chap's industry. I'm, I've beaten him down to the, to the lowest. He's gonna, his family going to starve. Anyway, uh, I went back um, two or three days later when he said he'd have them ready for me. And he'd got them all packed up in, in hundreds, I think, so six bundles. And, um, and I said, oh, thank you very much. And then he threw in another 10 shirts for free. So I thought, oh, <laughs> I, prob- I probably still Can't paid a bit, too, a bit too much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But isn't it, isn't it the thing of, like, it doesn't actually matter what it's worth. It matters if you're happy with what you're paying. Very much so. And, of course, most yes. tourists turning up in Bangkok would be happy to pay 12 bahts for a, a shirt like that. You know, think they mm. got a good, good deal. Um, but um, but he was whatever his costs were. He was still making a, a profit. Otherwise, he wouldn't have thrown in the extra ones. For, which I well, yeah. totally. My uh, my wheeler dealer story. If when you say, do you know that I'm a wheeler dealer? I say, <laughs> well, this story comes straight to my mind. Is when we were trying to buy a phone or a new phone contract or or both, and I guess I was about. I don't know, 16 or 17 or something, and you'd come with me to the to the shop. And um, we kind of, we'd agreed on, I think it a must budget. have been a phone on a contract or something. We'd sort of agreed on on that. And then and you basically were just sort of like, what else can you do for us? Can you, can you like chuck anything else in for free? Like, can you add in the phone case or can you like, and I think we came away with like a whole bunch of like accessories <laughs> or something just, but just cause you asked and they said yeah, yes. And it, yeah. that, it really made me think it's so true of just, you know, you don't ask, you don't get, and they can always say mm. no. Yeah, that's right. Oh, I don't remember that. That's uh, but, yeah. Good. Stuck in my mind. I don't, I don't need to remember it because I can imagine it so clearly. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's yeah there was something that you've said in the past of um, and like basically anything is possible. People mm. in even if it's like got this presentable front of a business, you're still like well it's still a person sitting in front of a till or whatever situation it is, and that person can have overrides and that person can make a decision and that person can do whatever their like big company policy is. So if you're right, if you if there's like good enough reason and you and you're not being like taking the mick or anything, or being yeah, horrible, I think so often people or being horrible. so totally. often people go in being like I'm going to be mean. I say this having I worked it. in the customer service many for many yeah. years, and you just think I don't want to help yeah. you. Whereas if you if you're nice, you're like oh yeah, go on yeah. then. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, I, I could also recount not 
bring to mind immediately, but there's been plenty of times where I've said to somebody, like, is there a button on that till that allows you to give a 10% discount or, or, or something? And they've said, no, sorry, there isn't. <laughs> it's kind of like, and I've gone away empty-handed, but like you say, you've not really lost anything. Don't ask it, yeah. yeah. <laughs> is there a button on that <laughs> and and do you fancy pressing that button right <laughs> just, just wondering <laughs> so just a few other little reflections um about life in thailand because we'll move on from here next time um but i know that we one of the things we used to get on the from the street traders as well was um was chicken and rice and you could go and out at lunchtime and they'd have, usually based on a bicycle and you'd buy it in a plastic bag and it'd be piping hot and it would be the world's most delicious snack lunch. You know, you'd get a, a bag of rice and mm. chicken in it. And it was called cowpad, which is quite funny because it always sounded like cowpat, which is yeah. like, yeah. And I, <laughs> pad one is, with the D. I, yeah, pad is the rice, I think, and cow is chicken. It might be the other mm. way around, but it's it's one of those two. Um, That's, yeah. No? No. The, <laughs> <laughs> what, 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 while it was great at the time, what it's done now, which is a shame is that when I go into a Thai restaurant, which I haven't done for years, but, you know, you, you go and look at the menu and you see chicken and rice is £18. You think, oh, no, I, I, I can't have a chicken and rice at that price. <laughs> when it was like, mm-hmm. I don't know, Penny Hapney or something on the streets of Bangkok and probably every a bit as good. Penny Hapney. Yeah. <laughs> when Mutz did come out to visit, this is now heading towards the end of my six months, she came out and stayed until the end and we travelled back together. Mm. Um, we were able to go on holiday down to the south on a coach for a weekend. And this is an area where um, great bits of rock jut out of the sea. And uh, there's a very dramatic island called Pipi Island that's quite popular for, for visiting. Um, and you, we went on this coach, I remember it went overnight, I think. And all the way along the route, they were playing horror films on the TV on the coach. I mean, we'd never been on a coach oh. with a TV on it before. I mean, in some ways, Thailand was very advanced. Uh, for example, all the buses and taxis ran off natural gas in, in 1986. I mean, if you can believe that. It's so long ago. Mm-hmm. It was a long time before that happened anywhere else. Um, and anyway, on this on this um, coach, it had a really sort of gruesome horror films. Um we were just interested at the worst parts of these horror films. The response of the bus was to roar with laughter. It's kind of like kind oh, of, quite a, weird. It was sort of like a cultural difference because I think we were squirming in our chairs if we were looking kind of thing. Was it sort of way over the top that it was almost hmm. funny if you were used to the gruesomeness of it or something? Well, perhaps. Don't know. But anyway, it's a little thing that sticks in, sticks in my mind. Hmm. I definitely sometimes laugh at things that are supposed to be scary or horrorful. Horrible. Horrible, like that word. <laughs> and sometimes, and very often, they just miss the mark, to, for me at least, and I'm like, this is so ridiculous. So I'd probably have a great time in Thailand. <laughs> I've so got we, to say, we... I don't think I've ever laughed at a horror film. Mm. But you quite like them, don't you? Or you like to, do you hear something? I like ones that are clever. I don't, yeah. like, I don't like the ones that are just like, just scaring you or being gory for for the sake of it. But there are some that feel a bit more clever, and, and yeah, those I think are it's like... when it has like a thriller element mm. is when it starts to be a bit more, a bit more cerebral. Um, <laughs> makes you, you know, you've got you. There's a bit of a mystery unraveling. Whereas, I think the thing for me is supernatural. Well, most of the time, if it's like if the explanation is something really boring because it's like oh it's what you thought it was the mm. whole time that doesn't really interest me because i'm like well 
we've just, all we've watched is something happen that wasn't mm. very nice. Whereas if it's like, oh, it was, you know, they would have got away with it if it wasn't for those darn mm. kids, then that's like, that was a Scooby Doo reference, which went over people's heads. It went straight over my head. I'm very sorry. <laughs> I was thinking about the sixth sense and being like, that's the kind of classic. Yeah, and, that's clever. Mm-hmm. Exactly. You know, it makes you jump and it is when you haven't seen it before and it's scary. But but there's something. Oh, my goodness. Oh, we're talking about horror oh. films and I'm alone in my flat and the door to the kitchen just <gasps> opened, which is because it's very windy outside and it has happened before, but it ah! just gave me some... Shivers. Um, oh, oh, that was word. creepy. This is where Jess's screen goes black and fizzy and, you know... Yeah. <laughs> and it's actually all... Anyway, um, but it's that actually then you know that there's something going on that you can't quite understand yeah. And then when you realise what it is, it's like... Oh, ah, yeah. ding. What was that thing about that ha- happened with the Saw movie when you were both watching it together? There's something oh, wild Oh, horrible. Happened. Yeah, this is one of, my, one of my most hilarious memories in my brain is... Um, I'll try and explain it in a way that isn't too gruesome. Um, but, Jay, I don't know if you, you're pulling a confused I face. So maybe, do not you, know Maybe you remember this halfway about. through. But there was one time um, Jay and I were watching uh, one of the Saw films. I think... I. I think, like, out of curiosity, because we'd never seen them before, and it was on TV, and it was like, we didn't have anything else to do, so we put it on, and we were watching, like, the first bit, and we were just like, this is just, this is just horrible, like, there's nothing nice about this, and nothing too gruesome had happened, um, and then, and we, like, it was working its way towards the, the kind of climactic, horrible moment in the film, and, um, we could see that that was coming. We were like, we're not having any fun here. We don't want to watch this. So we turned the TV off and then like kind of got up and went to walk out. And just as we walked out, the TV turned back on again and we saw the very worst moment of the film. And it just made us both like laugh so much because it was so, so hilarious. And I I turned to Jay and I was like, "Um, I don't understand what happened. Like I turned the TV off and then Jay was like, so did I. (laughs) So what what had happened is obviously, yeah, Yeah, one of us turned off, one of us turned it on. (laughs) And because it was was like, you know, TVs are quite fast now, I think, at turning on and off. But like back then it took it maybe like five, six seconds. Yeah. So the delay was like long enough that... That is so uh, funny. It was so funny. That's very funny. I turned it off. So did I. (laughs) Yeah. So anyway, we went down, we went on this uh, coach anyway with the horror film and uh, got on a boat to go off to see this island. And it stopped at, I mean, I've been thinking about this because it was stopped at what we were told was a gypsy village. And I can't understand why you would call it a gypsy village or why you'd use that terminology at all. But I think it must be a marginalised group of people. That's all I can think of, really. But that's what the tour guide described it as. And it was a, a village that was built over the water on stilts. So all the houses were, were just above the water mm-hmm. and you, had, you could only get there by boat. Um, and, uh, uh, and they served us, we stopped, it was sort of on the way to this island, we stopped there and had a, had a meal, they, they had a business cooking meals for passing tourists, and um, it was literally um, seafood that had just been pulled out of the water, and it, it, I mean, I, I'm not a great fan of seafood, but that was the most delicious uh, meal in that, of that kind I've ever had, I think. And we went on to see PP Island, looked around that, and then we went on to this other thing called James Bond Island. And hmm. I mean, a slightly amusing James thing. James Bond lived there. Well, no, it was it was featured. It was used in oh god, I look Moon Moon Moon. What's that one called? Moon Moonraker. Moonraker. I think it's that one where they have um, a laser that 
comes out of a mountain and fires off into space and the, the whole mountain <laughs> the whole mountain opens up and there's a laser that fires out um uh-huh. and it was it was filmed on this island anyway um and uh, we went and picked our way around that and i mean the the way i speak french for example means that i can't pronounce certain things properly because of my the way I, my mouth has been taught to speak english as my um, mother tongue well for the Thai people, it's very difficult to say James Bond. That that doesn't. It's not easy for them to say that. So mm. what what they actually say is Jane Bonds. They put the S on the end of Bonds. And for some reason, oh. we, that was very funny. Very funny indeed. Welcome, <laughs> welcome to Jane welcome Bonds. to Jane Bonds Island. It just takes the edge off James Bond as a concept. Really, it does. <laughs> James, James Bonds. Bonds. It, very, it very much doesn't sound as cool, but that's just because we know James. <laughs> James Bond. <laughs> So then back from the holiday, wrapped up the various things because the news had come from the United Kingdom that Phil and Kathy Wheel, that's their real names, and I would be proud for them to know that this has been broadcast to the, to the world, had been appointed as replacement director. And they were coming with the uh, added advantage of, I think it was three young children, which had never been heard of in this sort of uh, role before. Mm. So um, as the letters reveal me scuttling around trying to find a a new flat that would fit them all into, that they could live in, and trying to work out whether it was best to have the flat here or flat there, and if there was going to be a schooling, how that would all work. Um, So all sorts of kind of things I never expected to to have to do when I first got on that plane. And they came out, they were great, very... Um, unprepossessing people. Uh, I think Kathy was a doctor, and Phil can't remember what he did um, in prior to that. But they just slipped in, took over. And I remember one thing about remember about Phil is he he always had a little tiny notebook in his pocket, and whenever anything happened that he had to do, he just took the he, and wrote it down straight away on this notebook, a bit like a a phone today, I suppose. But there, I just finished my six months and had never written down anything when I was supposed to, and was always, <laughs> always struggling. Never did to, anything you were supposed to. Yeah. Well, I was always struggling to be no, sure of where I was supposed to be and stuff. And I thought, oh, that's a great approach. And I thought I'll do that when I get back, but I never did. But I mean, I thought I mm. thought it was a good idea. Um, and then we went down to the border together for one last time, say goodbye to the team, wrap up. I guess there was a little party. Can't quite remember. Not a great party, I think. But anyway, a little farewell, and off we went. And Bear in mind that was a, I can't remember now, two, it must have been a two hour journey at least between the border and Bangkok. So we then went to Bangkok and I think, I think it was the same day. We went to the airport that evening to fly out to London and wait and say goodbye to that amazing experience. And um, as we were approaching uh, the, the check-in desk, I think it was, before we checked in, there was a bit of a rumpus behind us and half the team had driven up behind us and I can't believe it. Does <laughs> mm. it all just come flooding back suddenly? I can't believe it. Excuse me. <laughs> yeah. to, to say goodbye. To say goodbye. That's so nice. That's really nice. Yeah, it was. It was totally unexpected. And um, I'll get my calls. My get my call in a minute. There's a, something about reliving it all. I think that. Um, mm. Was it was it you and Mutz leaving? Yes, we were both leaving yeah. together. In fact, we got we we've, it's been captured on film, and um, oh. we got we got not film on a we got a picture of it. I think they had a little bouquet or something. They put um, what do they call it a garland? They put around mm. Mutz's neck, and and off we went. <clears throat> but the thoughts that a busy team had sort of invested that um, 
yeah. had invested that. Anyway, sorry about that. that was, um, no, you don't, you don't need to apologise. <laughs> that was very unexpected. <laughs> there you go. I think it's something that you can't, you can't really know until a job ends is how much anything means to anyone. Mm. And there is something so nice mm. about gestures that make you realise that what you've done has mattered. Yeah, and I think um, I was all the time feeling, oh, gosh, I haven't really got the, the tools to do this job. Um, and I think I left feeling, well, some of it I got right for sure. And at least the, the you know the ship didn't it didn't fall over as as we went by. But I, I I all the time it was like kind of clutching at straws to survive. I seem to think. Yeah. Um, but I I do think it's made me much more um, willing to sort of take risks to try new things to because it's mm-hmm. like I was so out of my comfort zone in those days and out of my experience zone. Um, but the the trailer the Pakistani trailer if that's the right way to put it, is that we were on PIA, Pakistan Airlines, which we've talked about before, going to Karachi from um, Bangkok. And we stopped over there on the way back to London for a, well, a week or more, I think, to go and see Simon. Oh! Who, who by then had got a job teaching in a college in the north of Pakistan. And so we used that free stopover facility to go and see him. But we'll tell you about that. Next time. <laughs> oh, nice. I'd say it's really, I, I, you know, and this comes from a perspective of being your child, yeah. is that I cannot, I just cannot picture, I, I, yeah, you're telling us about this job that you just seem very well suited to and that like, you know, you might not have known everything that you're doing, but you've got the right personality to kind of wheel and deal and work it out. And it's, it's very yeah. hard to imagine that it didn't feel like that at the time. Mm. I don't, you know, I just, because... I, I, if it's so early on, you almost don't know what you're good at, even as you're doing it, maybe. Mm. Yeah. Whereas now you sort of recognise that as a skill. And I think, it helped, I think it helped form those skills as well, you know. Yeah. Kind of like, and it, it could easily have not, not you know, worked out. Um, but it did. And like, we, we, had, we had a lot of fun as well as all the sort of... Um, tough bits it was it was an amazing experience to have been given the chance to do that so. mm. who knows if you hadn't had the opportunity to buy 600 shirts for your team maybe you never would have got that free phone case for jess all those years later <laughs> still connected <laughs> it's, it's the little things yeah it all comes back well there you go for, um, for continuity's sake the um our off-screen producer also known as uh sarah mutz clark has um made it known in the history books that it's the man with the golden gun is the Jane Bond's film <laughs> that's um, the so one that's definitely that rather than Moonraker that is definitely the one yeah, no, that is, uh, that's definitely got the ring of truth about it that. yeah it doesn't feature the word moon which is I think what you said so well I think I was thinking of this the moon with the golden gun <laughs> no, I was thinking of this mountain opening up and just this moon I don't know what I was thinking anyway. it makes me think Thunderbirds and I've never actually even seen Thunderbirds <laughs> yeah. so what am I talking about oh wow good old nonsense Good old nonsense. <laughs> what am I talking about? Good old nonsense. Yeah, that sounds about right. <laughs> well, look Excellent. Out, look out for episode 23. Uh, two. 22 23. first, and then we'll jump into 23. Around about March time, I would say. I can't wait. Well, Fab. joyful as always, hearing your stories and chatting. Well, thanks for pitching up, and I'll see you next time. It's goodbye from me. Goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from me. Bye, bye, goodbye. goodbye. goodbye.
jingle is so good on this thing, by the way, just to let you know that. I really like it. Oh, thanks, Steve.